0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Synopsys Earnings Conference Call for the first quarter of fiscal year 2024. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you should require assistance during the call, please press star followed by zero. Today's call will last one hour. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Trey Campbell, Senior Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
1: Thank you, Operator. Good afternoon, everyone.
2: With us today are Saseen Ghazi, President and CEO, and Sheila Glazer, CFO. Before we begin, I'd like to remind everyone that during the course of this conference call, Synopsys will discuss forecasts targets, and other forward-looking statements, including statements regarding our pending acquisition of ANSYS. However, we will not be commenting on ANSYS's financial results. While these forward-looking statements represent our best current judgment about future results and performance as of today, our actual results are subject to many risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from what we expect. In addition to any risks that we highlight during this call, important factors that may affect such statements are described in our most recent SEC reports and today's earnings press release. In addition, we will refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures during the discussion. Reconciliations to their most directly comparable GAAP financial measures and supplemental financial information can be found in the earnings press release, financial supplement, and 8K that we released earlier today. All of these items, plus the most recent investor presentation, are available on our website at www.synopsis.com. In addition, the prepared remarks will be posted on our website at the conclusion of the call. With that, I'll turn the call over to Cécine.
3: Good afternoon. In Q1, we continued our strong momentum with revenue in the upper of end of our guidance range and non-GAAP EPS surpassing the upper end of our guidance range. Revenue was $1.65 billion, up 21% year-over-year. Non-GAAP operating margin was 38.7%, up approximately 3.5 points year-over-year. Non-GAAP EPS was $3.56, up 36% year-over-year. While maintaining our laser focus on meeting our quarterly financial commitments, we strategically drive the business for long-term financial success. Over the last three years, we have delivered a 17% revenue CAGR, non-GAAP operating margin improvement of seven points, and non-GAAP EPS growth at a 26% CAGR. Sheila will discuss the financials and guidance in more detail. Let's turn to market trends. We've entered an era of pervasive intelligence, driven by the rise of artificial intelligence, silicon proliferation, and software-defined systems. These trends demand more compute, new architectures, and new design methodologies, while requiring us to address the significant challenges of complexity, cost, energy consumption, and security. Despite the mounting challenges, design starts continue to rise as the semiconductor industry scales to a trillion dollars in revenue or more by the end of the decade. As the leading silicon to systems design solution company with best in class EDA tools and the broadest portfolio of semiconductor IP, Synopsys growth opportunity is truly incredible and already underway. Across industries, a paradigm shift is underway as companies race to deliver on this era of pervasive intelligence, where AI and smart technologies are omnipresent and interconnected. To capitalize on this shift, the technology industry's overcoming is converging on a silicon to systems approach to innovation. As the company at the heart, of silicon and systems. Synopsis was made for this moment. There is no one more capable of helping companies innovate for this era of pervasive intelligence. Semiconductor companies are now designing with a system approach in mind, while system companies are unlocking additional values through purpose-built chips and software-defined systems. At the same time, Customers see the fusion of electronics design and physics simulation as critical to delivering high-performing and high-yielding solutions for their business. Building on our seven-year partnership with ANSYS, the industry leader in simulation, and a deliberate multi-year strategy to reshape our business to support system-level design, last month we announced our intent to acquire ANSYS. This transaction will grow our TAM by 1.5X to $28 billion and further enhance our silicon to system strategy, both across our core EDA segments and in highly attractive adjacent growth areas where ANSYS has an established presence and successful go-to-market expertise. Customer feedback on the proposed transaction has been incredibly supportive and we look forward to closing this transaction in the first half of 2025. Now I'll share some segment highlights starting with design automation, where we saw strong design win activity across the business. We continue to enhance our leadership in digital EDA as our capabilities become increasingly critical for the leading chips at advanced nodes. We are proud to have partnered with our customers to achieve a number of industry firsts in Q1. The world's first GAA-based next-generation ARM Cortex-X mobile core tape-out at a leading Asian mobile SOC provider. The first completed tape-out for a server SOC on 18A. And Asia's first N5 ARM flagship automotive core tape-out for a leading EV OEM. In addition, we had multiple competitive wins anchored by two nanometer and three nanometer projects at a leading Asian mobile semiconductor company. We are also gaining momentum with analog mixed signal customers. We won several competitive full flow displacements at analog mixed signal companies, including networking OEMs in Europe and Japan. A key differentiator in these competitive wins was the breadth and leadership of our EDA platform, from digital to analog, and from architecture to sign-off, all turbocharged with the industry's leading full-flow AI platform, Synopsys.ai. Synopsys.ai focuses on three distinct pillars of value for our customers. Optimization, XSO.ai, data analytics x.da and generative ai including our co-pilot starting with our xso.ai family which includes design verification test and analog space optimization we continue to expand our footprint and drive sell up in our core eda tools dso.ai was key in several major wins and continues to drive a 20% plus uplift to Fusion compiler revenue at multiple accounts. Increasing share of usage of VSO.AI versus the competition was driven by superior PPA results on our platform versus alternatives. We saw very strong pull for VSO.AI with multiple production deployments that are seeing excellent improvements in test coverage and turnaround time. A large North American HPC semiconductor company made a significant investment in VSO.AI technology with plans to immediately deploy on four projects and eventually deploy corporate-wide. Another large North American GPU company saw 2x faster turnaround time and a 20% improvement in coverage, and is planning a large-scale deployment of the technology. Our analog AI tool, ASO.AI, now has multiple deployments moving to production with reference flows at TSMC, Samsung, and Intel for analog migration. We also broadened the capability of TSO.AI adding a design for test feature to the proven ability for advanced pattern generation. At the International Test Conference this quarter, we demonstrated a 20% reduction in total pattern count using TSO.AI. Our data analytics AI products also saw significant logo engagement growth. A great example is silicon.DA, Production Analytics, which is part of the silicon lifecycle management family and spans design through product manufacturing phases. Silicon.ga automatically highlights silicon data outliers, enabling engineering teams to quickly identify and correct underlying issues in design and manufacturing and boost productivity. Last quarter, we had a groundbreaking generative AI announcement with Microsoft for Accelerating Chip Design, Synopsys.AI Copilot. The integration of Gen.AI across Synopsys.AI provides chip designers with collaborative capabilities that offer expert tool guidance, generative capabilities to enable RTL and collateral creation from natural language. Following positive feedback from initial pilot participants, AMD, Intel, and Microsoft, will be adding a number of other companies with our beta rollout. In Q1, we also, we also won significant multi-die package designs. Our 3DIC compiler platform gained substantial momentum in multi-die packaging. Multi-die implementations continue to increase in the HPC market, with an expectation that by 2028, 40% of HPC designs will be multi-die architectures. Like the transition to AI, this new design paradigm will create significant opportunity for both our EBA and IP businesses. Moving to our systems business, hardware-assisted verification had a strong quarter with excellent bookings on Zebu and HAPS across multiple GEOs with eight new hardware logos. We saw share expansion at a large Asian OEM on Zebu 5 and grew our HAPS footprint at two top North American customers. In system software, Booking's momentum continued with key automotive OEMs and Tier 1s. One example was the collaboration we announced with Continental. Integrating our industry-leading virtual prototyping solutions within Continental's automotive edge development framework, we're building the digital twin capabilities that allow automakers to accelerate their software development and improve their time to market. Now, moving to design IP which continues to deliver industry leading growth as the IP supplier of choice for leading HPC, AI, automotive, and mobile chips at advanced nodes. This quarter, we closed a multi-year, multi-node, and multi-foundry agreement to enable the next generation automotive and IoT platforms in a landmark design win at a major North American semiconductor company. A keystone IP in HPC and AI is PCIe 6.0, where we lead the industry with more than 50 lifetime wins. We demonstrated our next wave of innovation by showcasing our PCIe 7.0 technology at DesignCon 2024. Multi-die packaging is a significant tailwind to IP as well as EDA. We won four die-to-die IP engagements in the quarter, surpassing 45 lifetime, enhancing our leadership in this emerging space. We proudly demonstrated the industry's first silicon success for UCIe s IP in TSMC N3E and N5. The tight integration with our flagship EDA tool, 3DIC compiler, is generating significant productivity gains with improved design margins. Finally, at the beginning of the quarter, we launched our new ARC-5 RISC-V based portfolio with strong customer interest. The ARC-5 processors are highly configurable and extensible to deliver optimal power performance efficiency for a broad range of applications such as automotive, storage, and IOT. Now to the software integrity segment, which delivered record revenue despite a challenging macroeconomic backdrop for enterprise software. We continue to evaluate strategic alternatives for this business and we will provide an update when we complete this process. While the company engages in this process, the Software Integrity Group will continue to focus on investing and innovating in our market-leading products and serving customers with our leading application security testing portfolio and a global go-to-market execution. In summary, we had an excellent start to the year, building on momentum underpinned by multiple secular growth drivers. We have a resilient business model and our customers continue to prioritize investments in the silicon and systems that position them for future growth. We are aligning our portfolio investment with the greatest return potential to accelerate our growth. Thank you to our employees, partners, and customers for their passion and commitment. Finally, we look forward to providing you more insight into our our business, strategy, and growth opportunities at our upcoming Investor Day, which will be held in conjunction with our Synopsys Users Group event in Santa Clara on March 20th. I hope to see many of you there. With that, I'll turn it over to Sheila.
4: Thank you, Sistine. We delivered a solid start to the year with revenue in the upper end of our guided range, non-GAAP operating margin of 38.7%, and non-GAAP earnings above the high end of our guidance range. Our Q1 results are driven by our execution and leadership position across our segments, robust design activity across semiconductor and systems customers, and the stability and resilience of our time-based business model. We remain confident in our business, and as a result, we are reaffirming our full year 2024 targets for revenue and non-GAAP operating margin and raising our non-GAAP EPS guidance. I'll now review our first quarter results. All comparisons are year over year, unless otherwise stated. We generated total revenue of $1.65 billion. Total GAAP costs and expenses were $1.29 billion. Total non-GAAP costs and expenses were $1.01 billion, resulting in non-GAAP operating margin of 38.7%. Gap earnings per share were $2.89, and non-GAAP earnings per share were $3.56. P1 included an extra fiscal week, which contributed $70.5 million in revenue and $0.11 cents in non-GAAP EPS. Now, on to our segment. Design automation segment revenue was $985.3 million, up 11%. Design Automation Adjusted Operating Margin was 37%. Design IP Segment Revenue was $525.7 million, up 53%, driven by broad-based strength. Design IP Adjusted Operating Margin was 47.5%. Software Integrity Revenue was $138.2 million, up 8%, and Adjusted Operating Margin was 17.3%. Operating cash outflow was $88 million for the quarter, and we ended the quarter with cash and short-term investments of $1.27 billion. Now to guidance. For fiscal year 2024, the full-year targets are revenue of $6.57 to $6.63 billion, total gap costs and expenses between $5.02 and $5.08 billion, Total non-GAAP cost and expenses between 4.14 and $4.18 billion, resolving a non-GAAP operating margin improvement of roughly two percentage points. Non-GAAP tax rate of 15%, GAAP earnings of $9.56 to $9.74 per share. Non-GAAP earnings of $13.47 to $13.55 per share. Cash flow from operations of approximately $1.4 billion. Now to targets for the second quarter. Revenue between $1.56 and $1.59 billion. Total gap cost and expenses between $1.21 and $1.23 billion. Total non-gap cost and expenses between $1.01 and $1.02 billion. Gap earnings of $2.05 to $2.16 per share, and non-GAAP earnings of $3.09 to $3.14 per share. Our press release and financial supplement include additional targets and GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliation. In conclusion, we delivered a solid start to the year. We continue to execute and for the full year expect 12.4 to 13.5% revenue growth, non-GAAP operating margin improvement of roughly two percentage points, and 20 to 21% non-GAAP EPS growth. Our confidence reflects our leadership position across our segments, robust design activity by our customers, and the stability and resiliency of our time-based business model. With that, I'll turn it over to the operator
5: for questions.
0: Before we begin the Q&A session, I would like to ask everyone to please limit yourself to one question and one brief follow-up to allow us to accommodate all participants. If you have additional questions, please re-enter the queue and we'll take as many as as time permits. We will pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Gary with Wells Fargo Securities. Gary, the floor is yours.
5: Good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, I think when you started or you initially gave fiscal year 24 guidance, you were expecting uh, China to, I guess, be a drag on the overall revenue growth. But in the first quarter results, it looks like sales into China were modestly accretive to the overall growth. And so my question is, you know, do you still anticipate some headwinds specific to China and anything specific you wanted to call out there with um, with respect to the dilution to the overall revenue trends?
3: Yeah, thank you, Gary, for the question. Uh, you are correct. Uh, when we guided FY24, we called out two possible headwinds. One, the continued uh, enterprise software slowness, and the other one was around uh, China, both the macro, and the impact of uh, the export control. Uh, That will continue uh, in terms of our balanced view as we're looking at the year and uh, as we communicated as well. We believe that being uh, uh, pragmatic around the China growth as we look at FY24 uh, was important. Now, as you saw in uh, Q1, uh, as you're calling out, strong Q1, uh, that that is due to some timing of uh, our uh, pull down of our business, uh, be it in EDA or LP, that can vary quarter over quarter. Uh, but the remainder of the year is uh, pretty much what we communicated when we guided the year.
5: Okay, I just uh, follow up uh, housekeeping question. Uh, what was the RPO balance at the end of the quarter? And it looks like the other income is coming in stronger than the original projection, including some upside in the first quarter. Sheila, can you give some clarity on, on the source of that?
4: Yeah, the backlog is $8.2 billion for the quarter. So uh, we had, obviously, record backlog in Q4 of 8.6, and that's sort of the natural lumpiness of uh, timing of big orders. So that was a pretty normal expectation. And then some of the goodness we saw in um, some of our other was some improvement in some Forex. And so, uh, you know, obviously that that can ebb and flow,
0: but uh, that's what we saw in Q1. Thank you.
5: Thanks,
0: Gary. Our next question comes from the line of KeyBank. The floor is yours.
1: Oh, hey, thanks. This is Jason. Um, can you guys hear me? Jason.
3: Yes, yes,
2: Perfect. Maybe building off of Gary's question, the backlog, 8.2, really nice to see in the high teens year-over-year growth again. Um, I, I, I get it, you know, lumpy coming off a record, but it was down a little more sequentially than what we've seen typically from Q4s to Q1s. Um, is there any way to think about the linearity through the year, first half, second half, or our renewal timing, just trying to understand the shape? Thanks.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything um unusual about it. I mean year over year we're up about nineteen percent. So we kinda of think about managing these things on a yearly increment because you think about, you know, timing of renewals and things like that, which usually we think about over the course of twelve months. So there's nothing uh really specific about the Q four to Q one other than I would point out that Q four was an all time high. So in some senses you, you know, that that all time high we'll go through sort of the natural pull-down and then replenishment of the backlog as we drive renewals and expansion.
6: Okay, perfect.
2: Um, and then on the IP side, again, really strong quarter, you know, 50% growth. Um, I know you mentioned a lot of new IP titles uh, that are coming out or, or have come out. I guess what was the main driver of the strengths in IP? And then how should we think about the, the that trend through the rest of the year?
1: Um, uh, on the IP. Thanks.
3: Yes. Uh, uh, thanks, Jason. As, as far as IP goes, uh, the beauty of what we have in our IP business, given it's an interface IP, more silicon proliferation, more chip starts. They need IP to connect the chip, inside the chip, the different blocks to each other, and connect the chip to the outside world. And this is where we lead with our IP business. Now, that being said, uh, there are constant new standards that are being delivered in order to support the complexity and the performance requirement uh, for be it an AI chip or any chip that goes into data center, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, Multi-die is another factor. Uh, the moment you start stacking uh, dies together in a package, you need more and more interface IP to connect that uh, uh, multi-die package uh, together. So those were the factors that were driving the IP opportunity, and we are very confident that uh, this uh, secular uh, trend with IP demand will uh, continue as long as there is more uh, demand for silicon and more sophisticated silicon.
4: Yeah, and Jason, I would just add the shape of the ear is a bit uh, opposite from last year. Last year we were very back-end loaded, as you recall, and this year we're a little bit more towards the front of the ear. Okay. And that's really right. driven as we we always talk about lumpy in IP because we're building those uh, new standards that Sabine talked about every day, but then when the customers need it to ingest into their design, that's when we get those big pull-downs.
1: Okay, appreciate that. Thank you both. Thank you, Jason.
0: Jason. Our next question comes from the line of Jay with Griffin Securities. Your floor is yours.
1: Good. Thank you. Good
7: evening. Um, So, team, um, with the ANSYS acquisition, you are, of course, um, pursuing the, the largest convergence event in the industry. But the question is, in the meantime, could you talk about the kind of internal resources or investments you are making anyway um, as you await the transaction uh, in terms of um, uh, new technologies, new methodologies to effectuate conversions um, even before uh, the anti transaction uh, closes, particularly for the target markets uh, that are, is motivating the acquisition, uh, such as aero, auto, and industrial?
3: Yes, excellent question, Jay. So I want to break it into two Uh, areas of investment, one in the core EDA, um, uh, not only with multi-die CDIC, but even if you have a a single die in a package, a homogeneous chip, Uh, when we started the the collaboration with ENSYS in uh, 2017. The intention of that collaboration was to bring an industry leader sign-off technology to our design implementation portfolio. That did not mean we did, we stopped investing in our own organic uh, implementation portfolio because you need to integrate some key engines in order to correlate with the industry uh, sign-off. As the complexity since 2017 grew, uh, our investments organically expanded in order to have engines sitting inside our fusion design platform to uh, correlate with uh, the broadened touch points we created with ANSYS from a simulation and sign-off standpoint. So that will continue in order to serve uh, our customers' uh, Deliver to the, a solution that, that they are looking in order to, to design and develop their products. So that's one bucket of investment. The second one, as we started expanding into new markets, uh, automotive, driving our systems uh, aspiration, uh, the investment there was not only from the product side, was go-to-market investment as well in order to expand and call into new set of customers like the automotive OEMs and other uh and this is where we called out uh a month or so ago when we announced the Ansys acquisition that Ansys will bring in an acceleration of uh knowledge into that the new market segments uh, that uh, that they have an experience and brand uh selling into those markets so those were those are the investments both on the r and d side and the go to market side that we will continue on making until uh, we uh, we close the agreement and we start talking integration at the time
7: okay uh thank you um for the follow up one of the things that uh distinguishes your current business is the customer concentration that is at least with with one customer uh Sheila's former company um over time, as, you know, AI becomes increasingly pervasive and all the other phenomena that you've talked about and that Art talked about this morning at the IFS event, you know, take hold. How do you foresee um, your customer concentration perhaps evolving in core EDA, IT, and or hardware over the next number of years when you think about all the various trends, the technology trends that, that you know, you've been speaking of for some time? Do you think the concentration uh, gets more, or do you think that you will have less customer concentration um, over time? And set aside answers for the moment.
3: Yes. So, Jay, just a correction. Uh, Both Sheila and I were alumni of Intel. (laughs) I felt left out, so I had to correct you here. (laughs) So, uh, uh, I I believe the market will go through uh, phases of both verticalization and uh, horizontal, horizontalization. And the reason for that is um, when there's a new opportunity, uh, you see many customers either are trying to build a complete stack or a platform. Uh, and you hear many of our traditional semiconductor chip companies talking about building a or delivering a system to their customers, delivering a platform to their customers. And then you see system companies are trying to go deeper into silicon to drive their own differentiation for their specific workload, specific application, etc. Uh, regardless which direction it goes, for us, we benefit both ways. Because if the silicon customers are delivering more silicon and specialized silicon for these different market verticals, we sell them IP and EDA to, to deliver to those products. Same thing with the system companies. Uh, you know our concentration correct that is um, uh, focused on the chip companies that, that are working on the most complex uh, SOCs uh, because those are the guys that they spend at the end uh, most money to absorb the latest technology that we offer in order to deliver on these complicated uh chips so i i don 't see it uh changing in the near term uh now, if you fast forward five plus years from now and many system companies have a very solid broad uh, semiconductor uh, arm inside them uh will be uh, 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 an expanded uh, opportunity uh, for us to serve.
1: Okay, very good, thank you. Thank you, Jay.
0: Our next question comes from the line of Lee Simpson
8: with Morgan Stanley.
0: Lee, the floor is yours.
8: Great, uh, good evening everyone, uh, thanks for fitting me in. Um, just just really rolling back to a couple of things you mentioned uh, on the, the the product summary. Uh, I think you mentioned a gate all around uh, work with a mobile SOC player and then went on to talk about two nanometer products with leading semis uh, companies out of Asia. Um, you know, g- great progress clearly there. And I, I, I guess I'm just trying to understand, you know, how, how does this come through as we get closer to things like, you know, 18A, uh, two nanometers, or N2 more generally, at TSMC, all of which seem to be standing up in the 2025 time frame and so that that feels to me as though that could and should be a pretty decent secular driver into the back half of the year is, is that the right way to be looking at this or does this come further into 25 thanks
3: so um, anytime there is a new technology, in this case, the GAA, the N2, the 18A, and uh, maybe you heard uh, Intel earlier today talking about 14A, uh, that's a fantastic opportunity for two reasons. In order for the customer to be able to explore that process technology innovation, even if they want to, to get a feel uh, do they want to move in that direction or not? Does it add value in terms of performance, power, etc.? That technology, that process technology needs to be enabled. In order to be enabled, it means Synopsys needs to design IP on that process technology and make sure that our EDA products are uh, comprehending that new technology in order to deliver to the target uh, performance power area of this process technology. So our work starts at least two years before we start talking about the GAA tape out that I mentioned in the script, in order to deliver the IP, design the IP in, and making sure that our EDA products are available and ready. So you can think of it in that time frame. that uh, whenever you hear a new technology being introduced, process technology, there is an early, early effort to uh, provide what is called the entitlement of that technology from a design point of view. And then you start seeing IP coming in, design start coming in around 24 months uh, from uh, announcement of uh, technology from uh, the leading foundries.
8: Great, that, that that's pretty clear actually. And maybe, maybe just a follow up. when. You know, going back to the ANSYS announcement that you made uh, and some of the verticals that they play into, uh, clearly one of the, the main drivers that are happening around the the, the automotive industry is, is this transition or migration to software-defined vehicles. And it, it does feel, as software and hardware uh, decouples, that there, there's a scope here for someone to drive standards, uh, particularly in automotive testing, uh, sorry, particularly in software, uh, having that fully tested before sent over the air. Could that be one of the ambitions for, for a deal like this? And does that behoove scale to drive standards through? Um, I'm just trying to get my head around what, what the opportunity might be there in new standards.
3: Yeah, uh, Lee, good question. We, we're actually at, if you think at the software uh, over the air update that is uh, being pushed out to, say, a car. Uh, What is needed in order for that software to be implemented is for the hardware uh, to uh, be uh, adaptable to the software changes that got pushed down. How do you know? Now, let's assume you're an automotive OEM. How do you know the response or the reaction of that software update to the function uh, of that system, the car? And this is where we come in where you look at the entire electronic system of a car, we can model every chip, we can test every chip. So as the software is uh, adaptable and changing, the automotive OEM will get a feel and validation to every change they make uh, without having to change, of course, the chips and the the, the actual silicon that is uh, in the car. So that's really where we come in. That's what we're referring to, electronics digital twin, where we have the ability to model every aspect of the the electronics, the chips in the car, so those automotive OEMs can do exactly what you described.
8: That's excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our
0: next question comes from the line of Joe Weberd. Joe, the floor is yours.
6: Uh, great. Thanks for taking my questions. I-, I wanted to go back to IP performance. Um, Sethine, in your prepared remarks, you, you mm-hmm. mentioned how AI is starting to lift growth around some of the, the core EDA software lines. I'm wondering if you can maybe do that, but for uh, IP and how AI development tech customers are maybe starting to lift growth in your IP portfolio. And then related to that, yeah, I would imagine these are a lot of advanced IT applications. Is this starting to show up in what could maybe be favorable price mix? Um, I think it's interesting if you look at margins over the last four quarters now, it's actually higher than the design automation segment. So there seems to be um, something going on there that's quite impressive.
3: Yes, so um, maybe uh, first a uh, comment because we did not get to that uh, point where we are in IT overnight. We have built that business 25 years ago. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, this month is our uh, 25th year anniversary for that business with a scale uh, that is truly uh, serving our customers in a in, – in amazing way. And the reason I'm emphasizing on scale the number of these standards that are required in order to keep up with the complexity of a chip. Let's say when you're talking about an AI chip, the bandwidth requirement to connect the chip to the memory, to the networking part of it, to the compute uh, aspect of it, is changing at a rapid, rapid pace. For us, that's a great opportunity because what it means, anytime you're going to the next version of that interface IP, it's a new opportunity to monetize because it's, it's a, a, a new uh, IP with a an uplift in our pricing in order for our customer to get access to the latest and the greatest. So that's from our ability to execute and deliver high quality IP to the customer when the customer needs it. Now, the other part of your question is please look at the trailing 12 months. The IP, by its nature, it's pulled down where the customer consumes the IP out of typically what we call an FSA, a committed multi-year agreement that we have with the customer that they pull it down when they pull the i p down when they need it, so naturally you're going to see very, very strong quarter uh from either an operating margin or a uh, revenue uh, with a lumpiness where the next quarter may be significantly lower, but as you measure over trailing twelve months, you will absolutely see it up and to the right consistently
6: okay that, that's great, thank you um. And then second question, just looking at your inventory balances, a a pretty nice jump there, which I imagine relates just to your expectations on the hardware business looking forward. Any changes in those expectations here at the start of the year? And and then I guess uh, related to this, How do you think about the concept of hardware cycles at this point? You know, in in the past there was uh, an all new, you know, platform generation and then upgrading along the way. So you would kind of get ebbs and flows, but we're now several years into uh, a strong hardware environment. How, How do you see that progressing going forward?
4: Sure. So let me start and then I'll have the same fill in. So we did grow inventory about 17% quarter on quarter, and that's to align with we had a record hardware year last year. We're anticipating another record hardware hardware year, and so we're building to ensure that we have proper supply to support our customers. And the reason that it's so important in our customer designs is they're designing more and more complex tips. This allows them to help infuse into their design environment the ability to model the software before they actually have the chips, so they, they can find issues and improve their, uh, essentially, time to market. So it's an incredibly valuable capability for our customers. We want to make sure that we have sufficient hardware available to be able to support this next record year. And I would say – um the, you know, capability that we're delivering to our customers through hardware is something they value greatly, which is why we've been able to have record year after record year. In terms of the cycles, maybe, Sistine, do you want to comment on that?
3: Yeah, sure. Uh, Joe, if you go back eight, ten years ago, uh, selling hardware to uh, customers, the customers views it, viewed it at the time as an option. Uh, They could have gotten the job done without it, but they used it because it accelerated uh, their efforts. You fast forward to now, there is no way a chip can go to tape out, meaning to manufacturing, without having many, many cycles of uh, emulation and prototyping to make sure that you cover as much as possible uh, in terms of verifying the chip. Uh, before you commit it to manufacturing, so it 's no longer uh, ebbs and flows of demands around hardware there's a constant uh, need by our customers to expand their investments uh, and support the latest and greatest systems in order to take advantage of uh, uh, ensuring that the the, the silicon they get back from manufacturing is going to be functioning and uh, working. Great, thank you
5: very much. Thank you, Joe.
0: So. <clears throat> Our next question comes from the line of Harlan with J.P. Morgan. Harlan, the floor is yours.
9: Hi, good afternoon. Great start to the fiscal year. Um, on the AI front, you know, much of the focus has been on data center, right? Data center GPU, networking, custom ASICs. Focus there continues strong, but now we're seeing sort of this broadening of AI moving into edges and endpoints, right? So now many of you semiconductor their customers focused on smartphones, automotive, PCs, home assistance, appliances, like they're all scrambling to add AI capabilities to their future chip roadmaps. I think it's resulting in more complex chip designs, more demand for higher performance IP, more systems uh, systems level analysis, like... Is the team already seeing this in terms of design activity momentum, IT licensing engagements, maybe more
3: potential opportunities for answers? I mean, any any color here would be helpful. Thank you, Harlan, for the question. Actually, that's exactly what we refer to as pervasive intelligence. Exactly what we when we talk about we're entering and we are in the era of pervasive intelligence. It's more and more devices are interconnected. And smart devices, so that exactly means uh, the reference you made, AI on the edge, etc, which requires more sophisticated silicon and a broader silicon proliferation of those advanced chips and uh, for our industry, for us, when you think about EDA and IP that's this fantastic opportunity and this is where when we make commentary that despite the ebbs and flows of the semiconductor market, the cyclical market, we don't see it because the design starts is tied to those R&D investments that uh, customers are expanding for all these different uh, applications. So absolutely we're seeing it. We're engaged with those customers. And uh, when we uh, start describing our company as silicon to systems, in that era of pervasive intelligence is exactly the opportunity that we're talking about here.
9: Great insights there. And then on Ansys, looks like like your customer's feedback has been quite positive. You know, we cover 20-something-odd semiconductor companies and we've asked them about this and they also seem to be positively inclined on the deal as well. And maybe uh, you can tell me as a further endorsement on the strategy, I mean, you did see I think it was last week, right, Renesas, which is a major semiconductor company, they announced that they're going to acquire Altium, right, this PCB design and analysis company for $6 billion, right? It looks like the systems opportunity is so important that they decided to bring the design and analysis capability directly in-house. But maybe more importantly, just wanted to know, like, what you're hearing from Ansys'
3: large customers uh, about the potential combination. So the customer feedback has been truly overwhelmingly positive around two points they make. One, the challenges they're dealing with, they're looking for a deeper collaboration in order to solve the problems they're running into today and, as importantly, they're going to face uh, into the future. Uh, so from a uh, uh anticipated solution, the way the customers are looking at uh, their current product and future product, they are looking forward to uh, this uh, combination. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the second feedback that is consistent is where you were touching on, which is uh, the system level uh, perspective, which is if you look at the various market verticals, you can argue each one of them is going to go through an inflection point at various points in time. If you mm-hmm. fast forward seven, eight, ten years from now, uh, and you pick an industry, let's say uh, industrial, health, uh, uh, etc., uh, they will go through that inflection point of uh, transforming and digitizing their applications In order to be connected, in order to be smarter devices uh, in their application, etc. And this again, where Ansys has a very strong presence, uh, because Mm -hmm. Synopsys, for since its existence, we serve the chip design uh, customer base, and of course we extended into our system companies, where you know today about forty-five percent of our business is with system companies. But those are system companies around hyperscalers and mobile primarily with many, many opportunities to expand with other system companies. And that's where ANSYS will bring in more than just the silicon aspect uh, that is needed for 3DIC, but that whole silicon-to-system modernization for the rest of the market verticals.
5: Great. Thanks, Sassim.
1: Thanks, Harlan.
0: Your next question comes from the line of Joshua with we'll Wolf Research. Joshua, the floor is yours.
1: Hey guys, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Uh, I Actually, I really want to follow up on that last question uh, about the customer feedback uh, on the ANSYS acquisition. Is is the positive feedback that you're hearing from customers that currently don't leverage the benefits of the existing ANSYS and Office partnership? or are these existing customers are both Synopsys and Ansys? Uh,
3: they're both Synopsys and Ansys customers. Uh, actually, I want to go back to give you the journey of the customer feedback. In 2017, when we announced the partnership, there was a lot of customer excitement because the way we uh, structured uh, the platform is an open platform, meaning you can use the Ansys sign-off product that can plug in into the Fusion Design platform from Synopsys, and that same Ansys product can plug into other uh, industry uh, available uh, platforms. Then, as you fa- as you move from 2017 to where we are today, that deeper, tighter uh, integration is required not only for one or two products that Ansys is offering, is for the broader portfolio. If you look at uh, a multi-die package, the electronics aspect of it, to design that multi-die package, you have a solution today that you can use from Synopsys plus Ansys, and you're good. As it's going through manufacturing, what they're facing is mechanical stress issues. And those are issues where, as you squeeze in those dies inside the package, uh, and you're running the software workload, it's overheating, some of these dyes are cracking, are warping, et cetera. So it's very mechanical in, intense uh, challenge where that deeper integration uh, will be uh, required and needed. And that's what the customer is excited about. And when I say but deeper integration, this is where you need to move in. Uh, actual algorithms and engines during the design phase, not only when you uh, go into uh, the later stage of the design for sign-off.
1: Makes total sense. I guess my my follow-up to that then is just, are you seeing any signs from your existing Synopsys customers of excitement around Customers who didn't leverage this partnership previously and now because of these integrations to come uh, are like reaching out to you, or asking about the potential, the opportunities. And basically, is there any early signs that you're going to see incremental synopsis plus ANSYS users and payers because of this partnership or this uh, acquisition that will close in the first half of 25?
3: Yeah, so, so Joshua, today uh, any advanced ship and when I'm talking about advanced chip, I'm talking about five nanometer and below AI chip, et cetera, is already using Synopsys and Ansys. I cannot think of customers that are designing most advanced chip with the complexity I described, that they are not leveraging Synopsys Fusion Platform and Ansys. So they're already there. But given the complexity is going to be a further increasing, that deeper integration and addressing uh, the challenges beyond the electronics is gonna provide the opportunity where one plus one is more than two. That's from the core current chip semiconductor business perspective. Now, the other part of your question, are there ANSYS customers that today they're not a synopsis customer? The answer is yes. There are many, many ANSYS customers that we don't see them, by the way, becoming a synopsis customer in the next one or two years. But there are going to be many other that they will be a synopsis customer, regardless if they are designing a chip or not. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you are an industrial uh, OEM, and today you are a, uh, an NSYS customer because you're using NSYS to design the mechanical aspect, etc., of uh, your product. And you want to move to the next level of uh, product delivery, where you have more uh, chip content in order to support connected robot, let's say, and a connected and smarter device. Even if you're not developing the chip, you're going to need an ability to model that chip, to verify that chip. Back to the example of automotive and over-the-air software updates. Those industries are going to move in that direction, and this is where Ansys has a very broad presence, that, uh, that presence, that market knowledge, that brand that they have, will absolutely expand the synopsis market uh, in the future, where it's an Ansys customer but not a synopsis customer.
1: So just to be clear, the opportunity is more about making ANSYS customers that aren't Synopsys customers ANSYS plus Synopsys customers and less about making Synopsys customers Synopsys plus ANSYS customers.
3: It's both. And there are Synopsys customers that today they're using part of the ANSYS portfolio. The more you integrate the ANSYS portfolio into a current Synopsys platform, you're going to expand it. For example, uh, fluid dynamics inside a chip or a mechanical stress Uh, challenge that you need to deeper integrate into a synopsis platform that will expand the 1 plus 1 will be greater than 2.
4: Yeah, and Joshua, we uh, shared in the announce that by year 4 we'll have run rate of 400 million in synergies. It was cross-sell both ways is a big part of that. And then as uh, Sassine's talking about that multi-die, that is further monetization inside an existing customer because that's a you know, more integrated solution than they're currently able to buy from either one of us
5: individually. Thanks, Josh. I
1: just want to thank everybody for uh, coming on the call today and again um,
2: remind you that we're uh, less than a month from our uh, investor meeting and we look forward to seeing a bunch of you uh, here in the Bay Area, or if you can, at least join our webcast. So we look forward to talking with you then. So thanks for coming to the call, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that ends today's conference. You may now disconnect.